Thank you. Thank you for engaging in worship this morning. Amen. Thank you for letting the Lord just set you free a little bit and remind you that you are free in Jesus. Hallelujah. The Bible says that everything be done decently and in order for the edification of the church. And sometimes we need to be reminded. Amen. Hallelujah. There is freedom in him. Yes, Lord. He wants to work deep in our hearts. And sometimes we come to the house of the Lord burdened and he wants to lift those burdens. And in worship, that is where it happens yes, many Lord. times. Yes. And, Hallelujah. You know, I, will, I will tell you from experience, I know how it is to walk into a place and be burdened and heavy laden in your heart. And it's like you're so heavy laden in your heart. It's like something's holding your hands down, you know. Something's keeping your mouth shut, but God wants to just open you up and just do something inside of you, amen? I used to tell our young people all the time, I said, you know, you talk about a bunch of different things, sing a bunch of different stuff, but God is looking directly at your heart to that one thing that yes. is burdening you and overwhelming you, and he wants to deal with that, amen? amen. That's how our Father is. He, want, he, he, he sees what's going on, and he mm -hmm. wants to deal with that, amen? amen? Glory to God. Acts chapter 14, when you got to say so. so. Verse 1, it says this. It says, now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and of Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. Amen. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. And God, we just ask you to speak to us, Lord, this morning. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your freedom. We thank you for your love toward us. We ask you, dear God, that we would not be idle hearers of your word, but, Lord God, that we would be attentive doers of your word, God. Help us to obey truth. Help us to turn from our own sin, our own selfishness, and follow hard after you, God, that we may be those used by you for your glory and for your honor. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. As you're sitting down, if you do not have an outline, if you do not have an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will get you an outline. <coughs> raise your hand. Keep it up for a moment so they can see you. Um, they're bringing them now. Even if you don't go to a connect group, first of all, I want to I wanna plug the connect group right now. Um, even if you're not in a connect group, we, we want you to get the outline because it's, an, it's good for you to be able to go along with us, take some notes, write down questions. If you're not in a connect group, we do encourage, raise your hand up if you don't have an outline. If you don't have one, keep your hand up so that way they can see you. Um, it's very, very important that you, that you do get connected. Amen? Very important that you do get connected with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Our time together on Sunday mornings is good, it's edifying, you know, and, and mornings like today, it's a little bit fun and, you know, we enjoy that, but here's the thing, that there has to be a deeper relationship that we have with one another in order for us to truly be able to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, to be able to reflect the Godhead like we should in community, that happens in our Connect Life groups. That's the time that we come together and we break down scriptures, and Pastor Adler will give you some more details on that, but it's important that you do that, but even if you're not in 
one, please make sure you get an outline, go along and write down the answers as we go through. And again, I want to say this, I don't necessarily answer every single question by question there when, while I'm going through my points. What you do have is this, is that you have point one that I'm going to make, point two that I'm going to make, and point three that I'm going to make. So here's what you should know, that if I get from point one to point two and you have not answered a question, you might have missed something, Amen. I'm just saying, you might, you might have missed a little point in there. Maybe I didn't touch on it exactly, but I do my best to make sure that I at least go in that direction. So make sure that you write down that you're paying attention. And I, and I do try, because I know that I do speak fast. I do try to slow down, especially when I'm dealing with the areas that are talking about these questions. But here, if you look in the introduction here, here in Acts chapter 14, we see the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul beginning or being completed. What we saw in chapter 13 that we, that we read, not last week, because last week was Mother's Day, but the Sunday before we dealt with chapter 13, and as I said, chapter 13 was the beginning of the Apostle Paul and his, and his companion Barnabas. They were commissioned by the Lord, and they began what was the first of three missionary journeys that the Apostle Paul is going on, and so in chapters 13 and 14, you have this missionary journey one, where they go out, they preach the gospel, they found some churches, and this is a time period, and I'll give you some, 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 um, some good stuff that for you to write down and kind of think about, because I'm going to ask you a, a, a hopefully a heart-searching question, but this all took place, these two chapters took place in, in about one to two years was the time that it took them to do this missionary journey. The amount of miles that they traveled was 1,250 miles. That's a lot of miles, right? They didn't have a car, amen? All right? They weren't all rich and just, you know, riding around in, in their, you know, their Palomino. You know what I'm saying? They, so so they, 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 what, they, there was some time that they got on ships because the, scripture, the scriptures do point that out. You know, Pamphylia and, and these different areas, island areas, they did do that. But there was a lot of walking that was going on in their devotion to the gospel. And I mind you, I'm not asking you to walk 1,250 miles to preach the gospel. Amen? That's not what I'm asking you to do, but I want you to think about what they did. One preacher said this. He said, these people did so much with so little while we do so little with so much. They didn't have, you know, sound systems. They didn't have internet. They didn't have, you know, Facebook and Twitter and, you know, all these other places that we have. They didn't have all of that stuff, and yet they did so much to advance the gospel. And this is just the first of three. And so there was a lot of things that went on, but what we see in this chapter is we see that um, coming to an end. And so we see here, as we will as well, as we look at this chapter, you're going to see throughout the book of Acts, and we'll see this as we continue to look at this book, we'll see that, the, the and even in, into our present days, that there was a consistent tension whenever the gospel is preached. And the point is that it's not like anybody just walks into a place and preaches the gospel and everybody in the room is like, yes, that's what I wanted to hear. Unless they're all Christians, unless they're all, and, and, and even in today's day, that's relative. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Because in today's day, we have a whole bunch of people that call themselves Christians but are really not, and they don't want to hear the gospel. They don't want to hear the truth being preached. And so even in those environments sometimes, people don't want to hear that either. And so what happens is we see that the tension that we find in the, in, in the Bible is the same tension that we see in our days. Our greatest desire should be that the gospel penetrates the hearts and minds of every person that we know, every person that we will meet, and, any, and, and even people that we may never meet because we know that the gospel is the only hope for salvation. 
And so what, what, what has to happen in our hearts is that we should desire, and that's what we're talking about, gospel penetration. We should desire and we should be praying for those people that we presently know that do not know Jesus. Even those who may profess they know Jesus, but their life says something different, we should be praying for them. But then there's something else. In our connect group, we were talking about this, and I said, you know, when, when, when I get up and pray in the morning and I have my time with the Lord, one of the things that I ask, and one day this, this really struck me because it was a day that I didn't really plan on leaving my house. And so as I'm praying, as I'm there, I'm getting ready to say, well, Lord, lead me today to someone. And as I'm praying, I just feel this impression like, are you going to leave your house? Like, how am I going to lead you? What, what, I got to bring someone to you, but if you want me to lead you, then you got to follow. Amen? And so you're not, you're not going to be led to someone because there ain't no one in your living room, glory to God, except you. And so you can, you know, evangelize yourself, but that's not the goal here. So here's the thing. Thinking about the people that we know, but also desiring those people that we're going to meet. You are going to meet people. That's what it means to be a person who goes and makes disciples. Is someone that who moves forward in their life, and as they're meeting people, they are being those gospel witnesses. They are being those who are sharing the gospel. And then there is the other side of this whole thing. There are people that you and I will never meet, but other people that we know, missionaries, our friends, our brothers and sisters, they will meet. And we should be praying, not just for the people we know, not just for the people that we're going to meet, but even for those that don't, that we don't know and will never know, we should be praying for them that they would meet Jesus. Amen? The gospel will penetrate their hearts. This is how you get a vision that is bigger than just your life and that you're able to look forward to those things that God wants to do, not just through you and not just in the people you know, but in all of those on this planet that Jesus died for. Amen? Just as Paul and Barnabas were consumed with the call to go and make disciples, this should be reflected in our lives as well. Our culture needs true missionaries who are truly overwhelmed by the gospel. And here's my question for you that I hope it will cause you to search your heart. How deeply has the gospel penetrated your heart? How deeply has the gospel penetrated your heart? I want you to think about that because what I just said was that in a span of one and a half to two years, they traveled 1,250 miles. They were, they, they were preaching the gospel. They founded many churches in many cities, and they did a lot. And the reason was because the gospel had deeply penetrated their hearts. And what I believe is this. I can't say that this is written in the Bible somewhere, that I could find a text for you to prove this. But what I know is this, is to the degree that the gospel penetrates your heart will be to the degree that you will extend yourself to be a vessel through which the gospel penetrates your culture. If the gospel has really penetrated you, I, I was having a conversation in the camping trip, which I had a, a, a really good, good time, and I hope that, you know, any of the men that missed it next year that you do or that you're able to participate, but I was sitting down with my brother George, and we were having a conversation over dinner the first night, and I was just hearing his testimony, getting to know him, and as he was sharing with me, he was telling me about his conversion and how when he came to meet Jesus, he said to me immediately, he said, man, I wanted all my friends to know Jesus. I want to all, and he, and he said, all the people that I was doing dirt with, all the people I was doing wrong with, I wanted them to meet Jesus. Why is that? Why does, he, why, why does that happen? It's because he realized he was walking in the dark at one point, and the light of the gospel came into his life. That light turned on, and he realized, man, they need this. They need this. And so what happens is as the gospel penetrates our hearts, we should be moving forward to, to see people be transformed. And here's what will happen. What will happen to us when we first get saved where, you know, we, we get on fire for Jesus and we want everybody to know about the Lord and we get a few people because it's happened. I mean, I don't know about anybody else in here. I know that I wasn't hanging out with a bunch of church people. Hello. Before I came to Jesus. And so what happened was when I started talking to them about Jesus, they put up with me for about a month. Amen. Glory to God. 
They were cool hanging out with me for about a month, but then I started talking about Jesus while they were trying to get high. Guess what? Being high, talking about Jesus, don't correlate. Hello. I know you got some people, they be smoking out, but they, be get, they get deep with God. No, they're not. Hello, somebody. They're getting deep with some other spirit because when you're really talking about the Jesus of the Bible, hello, somebody. When you're really talking about the holy God who sits on a throne in glory and who will judge all of humanity at the end of all of this stuff, when you're really talking about him, when you're high, you don't want to hear nothing about him. And so what happens is we get rejected a few times, and then slowly this desire to reach out to others, it begins to dissipate. This desire to share with others, it begins to die down because maybe they're not interested, and then something else happens, right? You get sanctified friends, glory to God. See, so what happens is you go from the place of being around people that don't know Jesus, that are not, you know, not in relationship with Jesus, talking to them, you get rejected, they don't want to hang out with you, and sometimes you just don't want to hang out with them. Let's keep it real, right? Because sometimes you don't want to be around that. And, and, and what happens is we forget the Great Commission, right? We start hanging out with our sanctified friends. We get our holy cliques going on, glory to God, right? I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm calling it what it is. It's, it's all good. Have your holy click, but can I, can, I, can I talk for a moment? But you got to get outside of your holy click because you guys are being real salty for one another. You're being real light for one another, and you're telling each other about each other's business. But are you reaching outside of your holiness? Amen. Are you reaching outside of your group of people? And so what happens is we get stuck, and then you ask Christians. Most Christians, most of us in this room think about it. You don't have to raise your hands. I don't want to embarrass you. But think about how many unsaved friends you have. I didn't say acquaintances. I didn't say people that you know at work that, yeah, I know they're unsaved. No, no, no. I'm talking about people that are your friends, people that you break bread with. How many of those do you have in your life? I'd be the first to confess with you there's not many that that are really friends like that in my life. And so here's the thing. We get to that place, and then we have this, we, 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 we lose that same passion. But can I encourage you, if you allow the gospel to penetrate your heart on a continual basis, if you allow the gospel to work inside of you, you will sense that burden, and you will be more assured of what you're supposed to do in sharing the gospel with those who don't know Jesus. And so when you think about the answer to this question, how deeply has the gospel penetrated your heart, don't just say, oh, yeah, it's affected me really deeply. Is it continuing to affect you? deeply. Not just one day, because I can tell you one day, we can talk about that, one day it affected me deeply, but does it continue to affect me and affect the way that I relate with this world? First thing, say this with me, opposition Opposition. to the gospel gospel. is a good sign. sign. Let me say that again. Opposition to the gospel is a good sign. When people don't want to hear what you got to say about Jesus, don't take that as offensive, like that's a bad, that's a good thing, amen? Because if everybody just wants to hear the gospel, there's an issue. The gospel is supposed to be offensive. And and listen to what I'm going to say. It doesn't mean you have to be offensive. It does not mean that I have to be offensive. The gospel by itself is offensive. When you begin to really share the gospel, it's offensive. You are telling someone who is a good person in their opinion, you're not a good person in in God's eyes. Are you hearing? You're telling someone who thinks that they're okay because they're not killing anyone. Well, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And you're telling them, that's all good. You, you know, you're a good person by your own standards, but by God's standards, not so much. 
That's offensive to people. You're telling people that the only way to salvation is Jesus. You're telling religious people. You're telling people of other faiths. You're telling people of other religious persuasions in their life. You're telling them that their way of living, that they were raised up from the time that they can remember going to mosque or going to wherever it was that they were going, that they have been deceived. That's offensive. That's offensive. And so you don't have to be offensive. You don't have to go out of your way to be, be offensive. Just share the gospel. Just really share the gospel. What we see here in these scriptures is, it says now in verse 1, it says, Now it happened in Iconium that they sent together, that they went, that, that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews. As we talked about the last time in chapter 13, this was a thing that Paul did when he went into cities. Usually if there was a synagogue, that's the first place that he went because there was a mixture of people there. There were Jewish people who were there, and there were also Gentiles, Jewish meaning the people of God's choosing, God's chosen people, and then Gentiles, people who were not God's people, but who were coming to synagogue because they wanted to learn about the God of creation. And so what happened was he would go there because he was looking for a way to share the gospel. So here he goes, he finds a, um, the synagogue of the Jews, and so they, they, he spoke to the, um, that, that a great multitude, both of Jews and Greeks, believed. And so we see a positive response. Look at the next verse. It says, but the unbelieving, say the unbelieving. unbelieving. Jews, say Jews. Jews. For this context, this is important, okay? The context of the scripture. It was unbelieving Jews. It was the ones that knew the law of God, but they would not accept Jesus as Messiah. That's very important that they were the ones, they were the religious leaders of their day. But for our day, the only word that matters there is unbelieving. For our day, it's the people that don't believe. People that don't believe the gospel. Those are the ones that would be, that, that would be doing what we're going to talk about here. So the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned, say poison. Poison their minds against the brethren. Now, when you look at that word poison, I mean, it, it's kind of self-explanatory. But when you look at it in its original, what it literally means is to create a hostility within the hearts or the souls of the people that are hearing. And so what happens is they came to the point where these Jewish people were like, we don't believe. And so what we are going to do is anyone who is thinking about believing what you're saying, we are going to create a hostility in their heart toward your message and inevitably against you. So now you look like the bad guy. Now we need to bring this into context for today. I've been share, I was sharing this with a, in a couple of conversations that I had, but last Friday, um, or two Fridays ago, I'm sorry, we went to this conference, and it was called Trends in Culture. And, one, and, and the person who was speaking is Mark Driscoll. He's a pastor of a church in Seattle, and he's writing a book that's, ta- that's called Trends of Culture. And one of the questions that he asked in here, he asked this, he said, uh, based on you know, st- um, statistics today, how many people would you say in the United States of America are Christian, right? And so, you know, he sat there, he was quiet, and obviously, you know, a building with about 400 guys in there, no one jumped up and threw out a statistic that I could hear. And he said, well, depending on the statistic that you look at, you will be somewhere between 40 and 70 percent of people who are in the United States would, would, would call themselves Christians, right? He said, but now, when you ask qualifying questions, meaning, like you ask, how many of you read your Bible daily? How many of you pray and seek God, you know, on a norm? That's a consistent part of your life. How many of you share your faith? How many of you participate in church, not just on, you know, great days, Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter? Those are wonderful days, but the point is, how many of you participate in, 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 in congregational getting together more than that? And when you begin to do that, what happens is the statistic drastically lowers. So he talks about the difference between professing Christians and those who are practicing Christians. 
And when you come to that, those questions over here, it goes from being 40 to 70% to about 7 to 9%. Now listen, this, this, this was pretty amazing for me, and that's the reason why I wanted to share this with you this morning, because we're talking about a hostility. And what happens is, so that means 7 to, 7 to 9% of our culture are what? Professing Christians that are practicing Christians, Right? There are those that are really talking about Jesus. Those, there are those that are going to be vocal about their convictions, vocal about what they believe. They're going to stand up for truth, right? You have that group. And then he said, but then you go to the other side. He said, now, I want you to think about this. Those that are like in their 30s or younger and, you know, and, and the rest of the culture, he, you know, I guess he umbrellas this here. And he said this. He said between 7 and 9% are either call themselves homosexual, bisexual, or agree with that lifestyle. Now, do you see what happens? You have two minority groups, right? 79% here, 79% here. Guess where the majority is? In the middle, watching us fight. Are you hearing me? They're in the middle, like you just alienate all of the majority. So what do they do? So they look at us. They look at both groups. They hear both groups' argument. They hear both groups' opinion. And what happens? They look at us as Christians, they're like, man, they're mean. I don't want to be part of that group. Are you hearing me? They're wrong. Did you hear me? If you're preaching the gospel, my daughter, I don't, is my daughter in here? She's not here. I can't look at her while I say this. But anyway, I was going to smile at her. But, you know, the other day I was doing something. I was asking her to do something, and I got a stern voice, right? And I asked her to do it, and she's like, Daddy, why are you being so mean? And my wife is like, baby, he's not being mean. He's telling you to do something. Right? He's, he's asking you to do something, and he's not like, oh, baby, go do this. No, he's saying, listen, you need to go and pick this up. Right? And so here's what happens. Am I being mean to my daughter? Absolutely not. Am I telling her the truth? Am I asking her to do something? Absolutely 100%. The other day, I can't remember, what, what's the commentator's name? Chris Bichard, is that his name? That, that's him, right? Yeah, yeah, is that it? Yes? Right? Amazing guy. Basketball player comes out. He's the first one. He wants to wear this, you know, coat. He wants to carry this burden. He says, hey, I'm homosexual, yada, yada, yada. He goes through all of that, right? Okay. He said his part. Nobody said anything. He wasn't, he, he, was, he was great. Got a call from the president. It was all good. I'm just saying. That's what happened. Pastor Aldo made the joke when we were in our men's meeting because it all happened, happened on that night. He said, I'm going to make an announcement that I am a heterosexual. Can I get a call from the president? I'm just saying, all right, thank you for laughing because lighten up, you know, I mean, seriously. But here's, the, here's what happens. One person on this side of the 7 to 9% makes a statement, and he's applauded. Good job. Thank you for coming out. We appreciate that. Somebody from over here, the 7 to 9% over here, simply says, well, I don't agree with that lifestyle. That lifestyle is unbiblical. You're a hater. You're a bigot. What's wrong with you? Hold on a second. Time out. I, I, I was going to play the video, but I don't have time to look it up. He, he did the, he did the you know, to, to, to communicate what he was trying to say. Amazing. Do you think anybody was like, good job, guy. Great job. Do you think the president called him? I don't think so. I'm just saying, if he did, I'm sorry. But I, I, I didn't get a record of that. I didn't see that anywhere in any news line. Hey, Chris, we appreciate you speaking up for your beliefs. We appreciate you you know, being true to what you believe. So here's what happens. You have a group of people unintentionally. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to, well, some of them are intentional. But want to have their beliefs. And you know what it does? It creates 
a hostility against Christians. But this has been happening since Bible days. This is nothing new. This has been happening since the time of the scriptures. Those people who don't believe. Let me give you another statistic that should really blow your mind here. This one, this one was amazing to me. Pastor Robert and I were talking about this one. In his, in his research for his book, Trends of Culture, he's asking questions. And let me tell you what he did just to make sure that his statistics are not, like, twisted. He didn't get some Christian research group. He didn't get that. He got people who were totally non-Christian, who do a great job in their, in, in, their, in their stats, and they're calling people, making sure that these people are qualified to be part of these statistics. This is what he said. He said of that same age group, you know, like 35s and, and going under, he said 85% of them, 85% of them say that the Bible, that there is enough evidence to prove the scriptures are true, the reason they don't want to believe and don't become Christians is because they just don't want anyone telling them what they have to do morally. So here's the point. The point is, it's not about you and I convincing them. They believe that, yep, the Bible, yep, that's right, it's good, but I don't want anyone to tell me that I have to do this or I have to do that or I can't do this. And so, where, and so which side do you think that the mass begins to lean toward? The one who says, do what you want to do. It's up to you. So now we look like the bad guy. We look like the mean one. We look like the ones with the issues. That's not the case. The scriptures here say that they were poisoning the minds against the brethren. The same thing happens in our day. I'm, sa- I'm sorry to say it. And, and let me say this. It, it, it's, it's, it's even worse when we as Christians. That's the reason why I said you don't have to go out of your way to be offensive. You preach the gospel and it's going to be offensive. The sadder part is when Christians are offensive. When Christians live hypocritically. I didn't say imperfectly. That's not what I'm saying. There is a difference between being imperfect, falling short, and being a hypocrite. Being a hypocrite is when you live a double life. It is when you come to church, make it seem like everything is all good, and when you leave here, you are not bringing church or Jesus or any of your godliness with you. Hello. It is when you live just like the world out there. That is being a hypocrite, calling yourself a Christian. That is horrible because that enables the poisoning of the minds of those who don't believe. When you live imperfectly, that's how all of us live. Every one of us in this room, if we're honest, we need to repent. We need to ask God to forgive us. We need to, and listen, don't just ask God to forgive you. Let me say it like this. When you fall short in front of your coworker, when you fall short in front of your neighbor, don't be a coward. Go to them and acknowledge your sin and let them know, I apologize for giving a bad testimony. Let them know that you are serious about your walk with Jesus. Don't leave that stuff under the rug because later on you come try to preach to them like, yeah, look at this guy. He did this, 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 and that. But when you acknowledge that and you confess that, it does two things. Number one, it causes them to know you're serious and you care about what they think. And number two, it makes you accountable for your actions. Because then you're not just going to be, you know, well, I cursed someone out today. Man, I'm sorry. My mouth slipped. And then I'm going to curse someone out tomorrow. Man, I'm sorry. Now you're being a hypocrite. Glory to God. Amen. Built built in accountability. Praise him. So, in our politically correct driven culture, we never want to be the bad guy. And in our endeavors for success, difficulty is somehow a sign of us going in the wrong direction. I want you to realize it says here in verse 2, it says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and and poisoned their minds against them. And the word therefore, say therefore. 
That is a connecting word. And it's saying that what happens next is a result of what happened prior. So they poisoned their minds. They were speaking bad against them. And so the result of that was not that they packed up and ran out and went somewhere else. That's not what they did. What they did was they stood there and they continued to preach the gospel. They stayed there a long time. Say a long time. Speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And I'll say this one more time, and I'll move on from the point. It is, it is our responsibility to make sure that we are preaching the gospel. Andy Stanley, when he talks about church stuff, he says, let the only offense be the cross. Let the only offense, and what he's talking about is when people come into the congregation, let, you know, don't let you know, the, 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 the decor, don't let the, you know, the different things in the church, don't let that stuff offend people. Don't let it be like, man, those people are dirty. We're not going back there. Don't, don't do that. He says, let the only offense be the cross. Where the cross is what offends. And so again, what we need to pray for is for people who will be bold communicators of the gospel. Amen? It is of the utmost importance for us as missionaries. And when I say missionaries, everyone in this building, say everyone in this building, is called to be a missionary. You may not be called to India. You may not be called to Africa. You may not be called to Guatemala. You may not be called to some part of the, you know, the 1040 window. You may not be called to that, but you are called to your neighbors. You are called to your coworkers. You are called to your family. You are called to be a missionary. You are called to be one who is on mission with Jesus, who is making disciples. And so it is very important that we understand that, that we are all called to be missionaries and that we never forget that the gospel message that we have been entrusted with is good news, even when it causes us grief, causes us loss, even causes us pain and brings offense to others. Don't ever forget that the message that God has given you is one that is good. No matter what they say, that's a bad, it's not a bad message. It may be a painful message, but it is a good message. It is a message to save someone's life from hell. Amen? We must be led by the Spirit in all of our efforts in advancing the gospel. There is a time to suffer, and there is a time to leave. Hello. Notice what the Scripture says. The Scripture says in the beginning, they stood there, they preached the gospel for a long time, and what happened was they spoke the Word of God boldly. Say boldly. What that word boldly, again, it doesn't mean rudely, it doesn't mean arrogantly, it doesn't mean insensitively, it doesn't mean any of those things. To speak the word of God boldly means to speak the, God, the word of God clearly, it means to speak the word of God courageously, it means to speak the word of God without compromising its content no matter who you are speaking to. That's what it means. And when we become bold witnesses for the gospel, what happens is God backs us by his power. When we decide, I am going to be a preacher of the gospel, no matter how unpopular it is, I'm going to share the truth, no matter who it offends, no matter who it hurts, God backs us when we do that, not just because I want to speak, but because I care about their eternity. Because we begin to unite with him in his heart and his mind for those who don't know Jesus. Say this with me, the second thing here, contextualization of the gospel is key to cultural penetration. Contextualization. We must be able to contextualize, meaning make the gospel relevant. It doesn't mean the message changes because everyone needs the gospel. 
But if we come, we, you know, we, 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 were, we were at the campfire on, um, on Friday night, right? That, that was Friday. On um, Friday night, and as Minister Juan was sharing, you know, the, the, um, the, the exhortation to us, you know, he was using some present-day examples of things that are ungodly. He wasn't talking about, you know, 1952. Are you hearing me? 1952 had its sin, absolutely. Every year of, of that, that, that this earth has existed, there has been, well, not, well, after the fall, we're going to say that, let's clear that up. After the fall, glory to God, there has been sin every day since. That's cool. But if I go and I talk to you about eating, eating a piece of fruit, they're going to be like, what are you talking about, man? I'm saying I thought fruit was healthy. Right? I'm, I'm, you know, I, I thought that was good for me, right? And, and so I'm telling you, that, that, that would make no sense. I got to go ahead and get through the whole message. But what happens is we see in verse 8, the Scripture says that they left there because they were wise. They were led by the Spirit. The Spirit of God showed them, right? Showed them how is it that we're supposed to operate. So the first thing is they stayed there, preached for a long time. The Bible goes on to say that they were going to stone them. And so they said, you know what? It's not our time to be stoned, so we're moving on. Right? They were led by the Spirit. They moved on. The scripture says they preached the gospel. In verse 8, we'll start reading in verse 8, and we'll read down to verse 20, then we'll come back and we'll go over some of this stuff. It says here, it says, In Lystra, a certain man was without, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul observed him intently, and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet, and he leaped and walked. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And then the priest of Zeus, whose, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. <clears throat> Excuse me. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you, why, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did, not, he, he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. So the first thing is, contextualization of the gospel is the key to cultural penetration. Since we know that the gospel advance, being advanced or seeing the gospel penetrate deep within our culture is the heart of God... The question for us is, are we being missiologists? Meaning, are we those who are studying how to be missionaries? Brad House makes, he, he quotes this, and he says this, to be a missionary or to be a missiologist means to be observant. It means to have your eyes open to the values of the people in your city, particularly in your neighborhoods or wherever your area of influence is. It is about discovering where people find their identity, what makes them, what wakes them up in the morning, where they spend their time, and where they hope to experience community. 
I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul does. When he comes into Lystra, he doesn't find a synagogue. The Bible doesn't show him going into a synagogue here. The scripture says there was a crippled guy who was there. He had never walked. The scripture says that he, was, he, was, he overheard Paul speaking. And so obviously we would believe Paul wasn't just having a casual conversation because whatever Paul was speaking was creating faith in this person. And when this guy begins to hear him, Paul is paying attention to who's listening. You know, kind of like I do. I'm looking around and y'all falling asleep. Y'all awake. What are y'all doing? See, he, he was doing that, right? He was saying, who has faith? You know, who needs to shout? You know, who needs to be rubbed by their neighbor? Something like that. Glory to God. So, you know, he was paying attention. He's seeing what's going on. He's seeing what's happening with the, with, the, with the people that are listening to him. And when he hears him, he calls the guy out. Healing comes into his life. And the scripture says that at that moment, these people were so amazed by what happened that they began to call them gods. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they were speaking in the Lyconian language. The reason why that's in there is because Paul and Barnabas didn't speak that language. So they didn't understand what was going on. But when they realized what was happening, when they realized what was going on, they tear their clothes. And it wasn't like, you know, they got butt naked or nothing like that. They just tore their shirt, you know, and like, look, we're flesh and blood just like you saying we're just like you and what happens is because of this miracle because of what occurs they go there and they're able to preach the gospel now what I want you to notice is this when you look at verse 14 of verse 19 notice what it says here in verse 14 it says but when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard this they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude crying out and saying so what are they going to do now they're going to begin to share the gospel with them in another clear way and so this calling out of this guy and bringing healing into his life opened the way for the gospel to be preached but I want you to notice how he preaches to them. Because we've heard other messages like when Peter preaches, when Paul preaches, and when they preach the gospel, they use things like the, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They use those terminologies. But watch what Paul does here so you can understand what I'm saying when I talk about contextualizing. He goes in and he says this, We also are men with the same nature as you. And preach to you that you should turn from, the, from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things in them. The first thing I want you to notice is he identifies with them. He identifies with them. He's like, we're flesh and blood just like you. We're sinful just like you. He's, he's, he's making himself equal to them. He's saying, look, we are just like you. And what are we preaching to you? We're telling you to turn away from. We preach that you should turn from these useless things to the living God. So what had happened was in this particular area in Derby, there was, there was this folklore. And what, had, what, what, what they said was a, a long time ago that, you know, Herm, that, that Hermes and Zeus came down and they came to these people and they were asking them for food. This is the story. The gods came down and asked for food. The people said no, except for one one. One family said yes, and then what, what, according to their folklore, what happened was the gods flooded the city except for these people's house. That's what their belief was. So when they saw this miracle, they were like, hold on a second. We need to, we need to bring some sacrifices to these gods because we don't want to be judged again. They saw it as judgment, but God was trying to bring deliverance to them. And so he begins to preach. He begins to share. He says, I preach to you. So obviously, if he's saying this, I mean, look, look, look at what he says. He says that you should turn, and we preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made. Now, who is the living God? Now, notice, he doesn't say the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, or the God of Jacob. That's not what he says. He said, to the living God who made heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. 
So what he does is when he talks to the Jewish people, he, he talks to them about the God of the covenant that they knew. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When he talks to these people, if he would have said the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's a foreign God to them. They don't know who that is, but you know who is not foreign to anyone? Say anyone. It is the general God, the God of revelation, the God who is the one. Now, hear what I'm saying. The God who created all things. And when I say general, I don't mean our definition for general today. I'm talking about the God who reveals himself to all of creation by his creation. That's what I'm talking about. Not the general God, you know, and God we trust. That's like a general God. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about the God who reveals, who leaves no one. Say no one. He leaves no one. No one is with excuse before him. I'm, I'm a sh- I, I got I to prove it to you, glory to God. Turn, 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 turn me to Romans. I want to show you this. this. This is important because I want you to understand who he's talking about. Romans chapter 1. Important scripture here. Because <clears throat> I don't want you to get confused when you're looking at what he's communicating here. Romans chapter 1. You can hold your place in Acts. Romans chapter 1. And we'll start reading in verse 18. We can start reading in verse 16. Let's start in verse 16. That's a, Paul says this, when you got to say so, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in, it is the righteous, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Now, first of all, he says two things. He says, what may be known of God is manifest in them, not just, not just outside. God has put something inside of everyone, say everyone. It's not just some people, but there's something inside of everyone that they know. Listen, the most hateful, atheist person that you know, there is still something in them that God has placed there. That when they stand before him, if they do not bow in repentance, that they will have to give an account because he put his laws in the hearts of men. But then he also says this. He says, for God has shown it to them. He's also shown them something on the outside. Not just on the inside, but something on the outside. And he goes on to say, he said, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Hold on a second. I was created. So since the beginning, things that were made should be able to understand this because God created it that way. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Now notice what happens. God shows them himself through the invisible attributes, through all of creation. We, you know, we live in the city, and so when we were out there at, you know, around the campfire, um, 
Brother Sean, as we were leading worship, he was talking about, you know, I don't know if you've had a moment to really look up into the sky. I remember one time I was, I was in the Grand Canyon, and, and in, in, the, in the night when we were camping, we, were, we, didn't, we didn't sleep in a tent. You know, the guys were like, you can't sleep in a tent. It'll be too hot, so just sleep on, you know, on top of your cot and everything like that. So I was like, okay, if you say so, man. So laying on top of this cot, all of a sudden at like 3 o'clock in the morning, there was this bright light. Like someone put a flashlight in my face, and what it was is that I was sleeping on my stomach, and when I turned over, it was like this light shine. And when I opened my eyes, you know what it was? It was the moon. I had never seen the moon that bright because I live in the city. And so it's eclipsed, you know, to some degree, the brightness of it. But when you get out there and there are no lights, and that, I mean, it, it's amazing, his creation. So here's the thing. When you think about being in those places, that was Sean's point. He was saying, look, if you look around, you see the wonder of his creation, and, and, and you can see these things. And what this scripture is saying is that everyone, since the beginning of creation, are without excuse because when you look at the magnitude of creation, you cannot help but say there there was someone greater than I. There was someone greater than me. Someone put this all together because what is holding those huge lights that I cannot reach up in the sky? What is, what, what is illuminating my day? How does, that, how does that heat and how do these things grow? When you start looking at that, you begin to say, wait a second, there's something bigger than me. Because I, that wasn't there and now it is there. You know, this, this, I mean, I'm saying, you know, you, you start to... And so what he's saying in these scriptures is, and this is, what, this is what Paul is saying further on. Mind you, this is the same person. He's giving a, a detailed explanation of this. He says in the verse 22, let's look down at it again. He said, professing to be wise, they became fools. So what happens is, this is what happens to all of us, right? We think we got it all together. We think we really don't need him, you know, we're good, you know, we have our own wisdom. And then what happens is the next thing, we change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image. Made like corruptible man, birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. What is that talking about? They made these images. They began to worship birds. They begin to worship crocodiles. They begin to worship alligators. They, they begin to worship all of these things because they feel like there's a God of this and a God of that. Wait a second. They're wise. No, they're not. They, they, they knew what God put in their hearts. It goes on to say this. It says, therefore, say therefore. Now, remember what I said about therefore earlier, right? Therefore is a connecting word. Because of what happened here is what happens next. It isn't because God is mean, God is hateful, God is, no, it's nothing like that. It says, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. It says, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Why was it due? When, when you talk about it was due, it's like you earned that. That's exactly what it's saying. It's saying that they earn that because of what? Because they change the incorruptible glory of God for corruptible things. Because they rejected who God was. Judgment comes because of what? Because God is mean? Because God is nasty? Because God wants you to go to hell? No, judgment comes because you disregard God. Because you disregard him. And that's the reason why he sends Jesus to die in our place so that way we can have life and be restored to a relationship with him. Go back to the book of Acts, please. 
Acts chapter 14. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying that God, the God that you all know, the one who created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Remember, there was one covenant people. Those were the Jewish people in Abraham. They got a revelation of who the one true God was. And so these other people didn't have that direct and specific revelation, but they could, just like Cornelius a few chapters ago. This was a guy that saw the magnitude of creation, and he realized, I got some answers from these Jewish people, and so I want to seek that God. I want to pursue that God. That is the God of truth. He wanted to pursue them. And so in in bygone generations, he allowed them to walk. But look what he says in verse 17. He says, nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness and that he did good, gave, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. He did not leave himself without witness. It is the same thing today. You can walk how you want to walk, but there is a witness to who God is, and you will stand before him in judgment, and it will either be to be condemned or it will be to inherit glory. It will be one or the other. He always has a witness, but can I tell you something? Not only is creation his witness, not only is the law of God that is written in our hearts a witness, but you and I are witnesses. You and I are supposed to be those witnesses, those bright lights that are shining and letting them know my life shows the creator lives. My life shows that Jesus is alive. My life shows that this God that I'm talking about, he is the real deal. He's not some fake God. He's not some other God. He is the God, the one that you must bow to. That's what we are those witnesses. That are supposed to do what? Like I just did with you. Go to Romans chapter 1. Now you, got, now, 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 now you have the tools. Hello. Go to Romans chapter 1. And you just talk. Look, the Bible says God knows this. To your friends that deny God, deny exi- exi- Talk to them. What, what, what about this? What about these things? Don't argue with them. Just show them. Amen. Glory to God. Well, you, know, you don't need to argue. <laughs> Here's the thing. Our message must be pure in its content. Meaning no compromise of the truth. It must be pure in its content, no compromising of the truth, but it also must be pertinent in its context, meaning that it is applicable to those who are hearing. So when I'm talking to kids, I wouldn't talk to kids like I'm talking to you right now. There'd be no way. They'd be like, I mean, my goodness, I've been talking for a while, glory to God. They would have been, you know, sucking their thumb or something. I don't know what they would be doing. It depends on their age group, right? They'll be like, can I get a candy? Can I get a snack, please? I mean, when is snack time, right? Y'all are thinking the same thing. When is snack time? Hold on a second. We, we gonna, y'all, ain't nothing changed, glory to God. Y'all just, just like me, bigger kids. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's get to snack time, right? Amen. We're going to get there. Pure in content. Pure in content. The message must, be, must remain pure in content. The third thing, I say this, say this with me. Say, local congregations are responsible for gospel penetration. If we want to see the gospel penetrating into our culture, it is, don't, don't listen, it's not the job of your pastors. It's not the job of your leaders. It's not just our job. It is our job. Say, it's our job. It is our job to make sure that the gospel is going forward into lives. Because here's the reality. The reality is there are tons of people that I will never, ever have the opportunity to have conversations with. You sit with them every day. 
I will never be invited to that lunch that you go to. I'll never be invited to that dinner that you make it to. I will never be invited into that study group that you're part of. I'll never be invited there, but you are. You are part of that. And you have the, you have the power of God resident in you. We, we, we live in the time of what? The dispensation. Pastor Robert and I were talking about this. Of the Holy Spirit where God comes to dwell inside of men. For what? So they can feel good? Is that what it's for? So they can feel good about themselves? Feel like, well, I feel good. I feel very spiritual today. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, seriously. Is that what it's for? No. He fills us with the Spirit of God so we can go out there and we can be effective witnesses. So when we open our mouths, our words are not dead, even if they fall on dead ears. Our words are not dead. Our words are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, which changes hearts and lives. And so what we do is we allow the Spirit of God to use us. I want you to notice something. And It's important for us to see this because this is the way that the Apostle Paul, he brings the whole um, mission of God forward. The first thing, and you can write these things down in your notes area there, and you can actually put it under your first question there. We're seeing the pattern the Apostle Paul uses in moving the gospel forward. The pattern is this. The first thing that he does is he preaches the gospel in certain key cities, places of influence. He preaches the gospel. He didn't go to every single city. He went to certain cities, and you'll notice most of the time when you actually look at the history of these cities, these are places that are trade areas. These are places where a lot of cities ended up coming to for their food or different things like that. And so what happens is he, did, he picked those places strategically, went there, shared the gospel, because what? From those places, it would trickle out into the other places. The gospel would go there. And so why do I say that? Because every one of us has certain place of influence, certain people of influence that we're around. And so what is our prayer? Our prayer is that they get saved, and the only way that that's going to happen is if someone is sharing the gospel with them. If someone is communicating the truth with them, and that way they can get saved and preach the gospel to others. The second thing is he contextualizes the gospel to be the most effective. When he preaches to the Jews or to the Gentiles that are in the synagogue, he talks about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When he talks about God to people who are not covenant people, people who don't know the law and don't know the Bible, what does he do? He talks to them about the God who created heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He brings it to them as as the general revelation of who God is. He brings that to them as the starting place. Say the starting place. He doesn't finish there. He starts there, and then he brings them to the revelation of who that God is. And we'll see that a little bit further on in the book of Acts, how he does that more specifically. The third thing that he does is he establishes, he establishes and organizes the local congregations, which will bring us to where we are right now in verse 21. Verse 21 says this, And when he had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so what we see here is that he goes and he establishes and organizes the church. The first thing he does, he preaches the gospel. As he preached the gospel, he moves on from that city, and he lets those disciples begin to mature. They begin to understand scripture. They develop some character. When he comes back to them, he does what? He decides, okay, these are the people that are standing out among the congregation. These are the people that are self-students, you know, those type of people. These are the leaders. 
They pray, they fast, and he does what? He commissions them as elders. Amen? He establishes the church. And the Bible says that he commends them unto the Lord, and he exhorts them to continue in the faith. So he establishes and organizes churches, and what he does, and this is the fourth thing, is he equips the disciples with the word of God, and he commissions them. So he established these churches, he exhorts them. He tells them what? He gives them two things. He gives them a promise, and he gives them a warning. The first warning is, he says, listen, if you're going to continue on in this, you're going to experience what? Tribulation. You're going to experience hardship. This is going to happen. Think it not strange when many trials come upon your life. It is not like something happened to you that isn't happening to other people. No, this is, this is what is going to happen. You want to live for Jesus? It's not going to be all, you know, peachy and, you know, just easy. Hello? If you're going to live for him. And listen, and, and I say that, and, and I'm almost hesitant to say it, because serving Jesus is not like, oh, my goodness, it's so painful, it's so hard. I can't believe this is so, he was so right, this is the worst thing. If that's you, you don't know Jesus. Because with the pain comes the beauty of relationship. With the pain comes the peace which surpasses all understanding. With the rejection comes the joy of the Lord that is your strength. With him is a love that surpasses all knowledge. And so what happens is it's tough to be ridiculed. Nobody wants to be the bad guy. Nobody wants to be the one who's rejected, who's not invited to the party. I mean, hello, you know, as, as holy as you are and you look on Facebook and you see your family was doing this, your friends were doing that, and you weren't invited, you're like, man, what's up, man? I mean, I'm holy, but not that holy. I mean, I want to go hang out. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm just saying, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm just talking about me. I'm just, I'm just venting. I'm letting y'all pray for me. Amen. You know, my brothers and sisters, they go to the springs. They don't even invite a brother. Be like, man, hope y'all are hearing this. Glory to God. Let me get an invitation. But, but listen, the point is, if you're walking around like that, man, you don't know Jesus. Because Paul wasn't like, oh my goodness, he was, you, you see this guy, and anybody who really knew Jesus, it was hard, they got stoned, you know, things happen, you read, you know, Fox's Book of Martyrs, people got killed, people are still being killed for the gospel today. But they're not being killed, of the gospel, killed for the gospel with no joy in their life, it is overwhelming because they know the Savior. And so while it's difficult, you know, carrying a cross is not easy. The beauty of it is God fills us with his spirit, and he allows us the grace in order to carry it. Amen? Amen. The encouragement to continue in the faith must be examined to understand what it means to be a disciple. He tells them to continue. He exhorts them in verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples. He exhorts them, continue in the faith. Continue in the faith. To continue in the faith, it means to live all of our lives out of our confessed faith in Jesus. Not some parts of our life. Every part of my life is lived out of that confession. Everything that I do is a reflection of my devotion to Jesus or lack thereof. This is the reality. And when he's telling them, commit yourself, continue in the faith, he's communicating. He's letting them know, listen, you need to continue on moving forward in this faith. He gives them the warning of tribulation. He gives them the promise. What's the promise? Entrance into the kingdom of heaven. You will have, you will have tribulation, but you have entrance into the kingdom of God. I want to give you two examples. You can write these scriptures down and turn there with me if you would like. Or they might come up, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 to 23. We're going to look at those verses. Colossians chapter 1. This is, this is, this is a good example of what it means to continue on in the faith. Colossians 
Colossians 21, I mean 1, starting in verse 21, it says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed, say if, if, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so we continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and we are not moved away. When I continue in the faith, my hope is Jesus. In everything, my hope is Jesus. My finances are bad, my hope is Jesus. My marriage is going through it, my hope is Jesus. My children are acting up, my hope is Jesus. My job situation is shaky, my hope is Jesus. My extended family is going through sickness and hardship, my hope is Jesus. When I, when I, am, when I am continuing in the faith, that's what it means. It doesn't mean that I won't waver in moments. It doesn't mean that. We all have those moments where we question, God, where are you? All of us do. And if you don't, you will get there. Okay? And, and, and let me say it to you like this. You might have some schizophrenic moments. Like one moment you are crying out like, God, where are you? And the next moment, God, I love you. You're right there with me. Glory. You know, because it just happens like that. The point is you go through stuff. The, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more difficult trials become. Those things happen. That's normal. That's okay. As long as you end on the right side, not stuck over here. Where are you, God? But like, I will worship you because you're holy. This is where we want to be. This is where we want to get to. We want to get to that place in our faith, and that's what it means to walk with him. Now, now turn with me. I want to give you a negative example of not continuing in the faith. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. First Timothy 5 verse 8. You got to say amen. And it says this, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So you have one person continuing the faith, not moved, but continuing forward. You have another person who is denying the faith. When you look at your outline there, it says list some practical ways that we are to continue in the faith and discuss each of them and tie uh, and uh, of them tying into. I didn't put tying, but how each of them to, or how each of them tie into living out the gospel. The example I gave was from this scripture: providing for your family. How does that tie into the gospel? Well, if I'm continuing in the faith, I'm the leader of my home. For the for us men that are in the building, single parents in the building, you're the leader of your home. Amen. And so what happens is you should make sure your home is provided for. And if you don't, you're denying the faith. Why? How, how do you deny the faith? How, how does pro pro providing for your home and denying the faith? Because God is a provider. And when you don't care about your family being provided for, what happens? You are denying that attribute of God. And so we continue in the faith because all of our life, when you're a hard worker and you're, you're demonstrating that devotion, not because you're making all this kind of money, but because you are working hard to provide for your family, you're exemplifying God's character and desire to provide for us. That's what we do there. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, and that'll be the last scripture that we turn to and we will close up. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, it says this. Let's start in verse 10. When you got to say so. 
It says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecution, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. Don't those names sound familiar? We just talked about all of those, right? And so what Paul is saying, you saw me when I went through all of this stuff. He's talking to Timothy. And as we move forward in the book of Acts, you'll see when he meets Timothy and brings Timothy along. But he says, you saw all of these things. He says, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. He says, yes, and all, say all, all. who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Every one of us, 2 Timothy 3.12 gives us a reminder. Living godly will lead to persecution because if we are like our Savior, we will preach the gospel to those who need it, and many times they don't want to hear it. They will hate us because we are unmoved from our hope in the gospel. When the gospel is penetrating our hearts, when the gospel is really doing something in our lives, when we share with other people, and there are people that will hear me preach, and everything is gospel, Jesus, I want to say the gospel as many times as I possibly can while I preach a message. Amen? Because I want us to not forget that it is about the gospel. It is about what Jesus has done. And Jesus is the true only hope. Listen, not every single thing in your life is going to be fixed because you come to Jesus, but every single thing in your life will be better because you walk with Jesus. And so the reality is, is the gospel changing your life? And my last question for you is this. Are you doing your part to be a vessel of gospel penetration? Are you doing your part to be a vessel of gospel penetration? In other words, you living out the gospel like you're supposed to live it? Are you preaching it? There's this saying that I've read on Facebook like three or four times. I haven't commented on it because I don't want to hurt my friends there. You know, because it's, uh, but I'm, I'm going to share it with you so when you hear it, you can say that's blasphemy. It's a saying, it's, it's, it's a quote that is not even, it's, it's a fictitious quote. Someone made this quote up and they, they, they said that some um, old time preacher said this, which would be the stupidest thing they could have said. And it is, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. You cannot preach the gospel if you are not using words. That's an oxymoron. Did you hear what I just said? That's like me coming up here. I'm not, what am I doing? I'm like miming the gospel? I mean, what, what is that? I mean, seriously. You know, I mean, like, I mean, what, 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 I mean, what? You know, I mean, seriously. That is the dumbest statement. Please don't use it, okay? Don't, don't, don't put that on Facebook. I mean, listen, you cannot preach it. You can live the gospel, okay? You can live the gospel, but you cannot preach the gospel without words. You cannot, man. You, because you can do a good deed. And if you never tell them why you did it, they're just like, that was a good deed. I appreciate that. Did you, did, did you preach the gospel to them? No, you did something good for them. But the moment that they know I did this in the name of the Lord, now that's a different story. Now the situation has changed. So don't use the saying, amen? <laughs> Glory to God. Y'all want to mime the gospel. We're going we to learn that. That's going to be our next week lesson. Pastor Rob's going to teach us to mime the gospel. <laughs> Stand to your feet, please. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Bow your heads. Grab your neighbor's hand, please, and let's pray one for the other. I want you to think about that question. Are you doing your part? Are you doing your part to be a vessel of gospel penetration? 
Are you not just living the gospel, but are you intentionally inviting people to lunch so you can share with them? Inviting people over to your house so you can talk to them? Taking the time to walk around your neighborhood and just share with someone? I mean, get to know some people. Are you doing those things? Listen, I'm not doing every single thing that I can to be a vessel of penetration, so I come before you just in need of the same grace that you do. But it's not enough for me to just acknowledge, no, I'm not being that vessel. Repent of that sin of indifference toward the gospel. People are dying, and they are going to hell. And listen, if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus, today is a great opportunity for you to put your faith in him. What do you have to do to be saved? Call on his name. Call on his name. And don't just say Jesus, but call on him, believing that he is God, believing that he is the only way to salvation, and recognizing that you are not right with him. Turn from your sins and put your faith in him today, if that is you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you humbled, We've laughed, Lord God. We've cried. Father, we've thought. But today, my God, I just pray that your conviction would be upon our hearts. For wherever we need to be convicted, God. Father, some of us need to be convicted because we're indifferent. God, we're, we, don't, we, we don't care about our neighbors that are dying. We don't care about the things that are going on in our culture. God, have mercy on us. God, turn our hearts from our selfishness, from our indifference, to a burdened heart for the truth and for those who need it. God, there are those in here that don't know you today. I pray for them, God. I pray that they would not leave this place without making that decision to follow hard after you without making that decision to put their faith and their trust in you, God. I pray, Jesus, that they would not be ashamed of you, but they would turn from their own ways unto you, God. And Father, I pray for us as your people. God, it's not enough for us to recognize that we fall short. God, we need to walk by your grace and be empowered to obey your word. Give us the wisdom to serve you faithfully. Give us the wisdom to obey you. Give us the heart to follow you, God, to be light no matter what, God. Let us not allow our cultural, political, correct mentality shade the light of your gospel. But let us be that city set upon a hill, God. Let us be those who shine brightly for you, God. Give us tact. Give us sensitivity. But Lord God, more than anything, give us boldness. Give us courage. Fill us with your spirit, God. Use us for your glory and bring change to our nation and to the nations of the world because of the power of the gospel that is operating in our lives.